Hello and welcome to Kangaroo English. My name is Christian and today is Monday, the best day of the week. <laughs> Now, today I am going to be talking about the differences between British and American English. Because it's a question that I get asked all the time by students. And in fact, I've had some students say to me, Oh, Christian, you're a really good teacher, but you're teaching Australian English. You're teaching British English, so I can't learn from you. <laughs> Now, it's really important to know that the difference between British and American English is tiny. It's as significant as the difference between New York and Texas English. So, The idea that there's only two types of English is just pure marketing. And really, the differences between all of the different types of English have more to do with psychology and culture than anything else. So, let's start with the first question, which is this one. I've stumbled upon this interesting sentence. You and your sugar-coated ersatz are absolutely full of it. I would really appreciate if you could explain sugar-coated ersatz, also the roots of this word. Okay, so sugar-coated, covered in sugar, something that's sweet. So sweet can have positive meanings, you know, ah, oh, he's a sweet guy, she's a sweet girl. But If something is too sweet, that's bad. If something's coated in sugar, it's too sweet. It goes from being delicious to being too much. So sugar-coated is, is not really a good thing. Um, you know, if you want someone to tell you the truth, if, if I want to ask you, listen, does this pink t-shirt look good on me? Now, don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> then, then you can tell me the truth. Um, but the word I, I'm really interested in talking about is ersatz. So, ersatz is a word that we stole directly from German. And in German, it means replacement or substitute. So, during World War I, and then again during World War II, um, There was a shortage of things. You know, it was difficult to find certain products, especially food. And so maybe you couldn't get your favorite coffee or your favorite tea. You had to have a substitute, a replacement. And normally that substitute or replacement wasn't as good as the original, right? So it was something ersatz. Something ersatz is... A replacement or substitute that's not quite as good as the original. And that's how a lot of people feel about American English. It's like, British English is the original English. The correct English, the true English. And American English is just a ersatz substitute. A poor quality copy of the real thing when... Of course, that's not true at all. All languages are equally as valuable and equally as rich and as interesting. 
Which brings us to our first question, which is this one. Good morning. Here is a thing that's worth discussing. Yet and just can be used with simple past and present perfect. But how do we distinguish its meaning? Do they give the same information whether used with simple past or present perfect? For example, we have just arrived or we just arrived. What's the difference in both meanings? Have you started your job yet or did John start his new job yet? What's the difference in both meanings? So this is when we, we start to make our first comparison between British and American English. And if you look at this chart, you'll see that in general, in American English, they prefer to use the past simple, especially with these adverbs of time like already and just and yet. So we can see that there's this preference, this difference of preference. But where did it come from? Is it just distance? Is it just something that happens naturally when you separate two languages? Well, there was this really interesting paper, Cultural and Psychological Factors for the Present Perfect in British English and American English. And the author suggests that there is a link between all of the European languages that surround English and their preference for using present perfect. Because you see, in some European languages, especially the ones that are, that are close to England and the United Kingdom, they are slowly reducing their use of the past simple, the preterite. And they're preferring to use the perfect tenses. Listen to this. Cultural ties with the Euro-Atlantic linguistic area may be having an effect on its syntax and more specifically on the use of the present perfect instead of the simple past. So it's possible that the reason that British English prefers to use present perfect is because all of the other languages around it are also preferring to use present perfect. And well, there's a little bit of evidence for this. But America, over there, isolated, isn't being influenced in the same way. It's always fascinating to see that link between culture and language. And that brings us directly to another important part of American culture, McDonald's, and to our next question. How is it correct? I know that see and hear are stative verbs. Google Translate gives the sentence, I see a bird, or I can see a bird now. The sentence, I can see a bird now, is an equivalent to the present continuous, or both sentences are correct. So here's the really interesting thing. Although you have probably encountered the vocabulary of stative and dynamic verbs as a, as a learner, the truth is that this is just one way of describing grammar. Like, when we look at language and we analyze language, there are many different ways to skin a cat. Many different ways 
for theories of language to look at language and take it apart into its pieces. So really, the idea of stative and dynamic verbs is just one possibility. And that's important because when you actually start looking at English verbs, you'll find that almost all of them can be used as both. And this is important because it tells us that language isn't about grammaticality and ungrammaticality. It's not about right and wrong. It's about acceptability and unacceptability. And things that we find acceptable can change over time. Like, for example, in 2003, when McDonald's decided to use the slogan, I'm loving it. Now, there's this really great piece of research about this McDonald's slogan, which talks about how before McDonald's introduced this in 2003, there was only five uses of loving as a dynamic verb in all of these corpuses of English that they looked at. So basically, before McDonald's started using the verb loving as a dynamic verb, it wasn't really something that people did. It sounded odd. It sounded strange. It didn't sound acceptable. And that's exactly why McDonald's decided to use it in their slogan. It was a shock. It had this effect of what? That's strange and, and new and fresh which is exactly what they wanted. And now, you know, 20 years later, it sounds perfectly normal for us to say, I'm loving this class. I'm hating this book that I'm reading. And other verbs that perhaps 20 years ago would never be used as dynamic verbs suddenly start to become acceptable. So, really, whether you can use these verbs like um, see and hear as dynamic and stative verbs is, one, it's about logic, and two, it's about what we find acceptable as language evolves and changes. So, for example, um, seeing and hearing. Now, obviously, sometimes it won't make a lot of sense. If you say, can you see this person standing over here? And you say, yes, I can see him. That's something that we consider acceptable. We don't think it's acceptable to say, yes, I am seeing him. Doesn't sound right. It's not what we just, it's not what we say. But if you had a problem psychological problem and you were hallucinating and you had visions of pigs flying through the sky, rabbits on motorcycles, you could go to your doctor and say, doctor, I am seeing some strange things. And at that moment, it's logical because you want to differentiate you want to differentiate between saying, 
I see something all the time, and I'm seeing something in this period of time. So again, acceptability and unacceptability is not just about language change, it's also about logic and making sense in context. Okay, so we've spent some time in the United States talking about American English. Now let's cross over the Atlantic and let's go to Britain and to this question. Hello everyone, I am Francisca from Madrid and I want to be part of this group to improve my English. I have recently asked to Christian how to use so do I and how do you say that for he and we and she etc. And also the negative which is neither do I but I don't know how that works for you, he, she etc. Now this is a great example of how language comes to us in chunks, in pieces and Sometimes it's just a really bad idea to try to break apart these chunks and look for meaning because a lot of the time it doesn't make sense. Now, let's look at this reply. So do I. Now, it's kind of weird because the words are all in the wrong order, right? I mean, you don't use this order in... Standard English, we say subject and then the verb after, right? Unless it's a question when we do inversion. But, so what is this? Why? The reason is that this is a fossil. An old expression from old English when the word order was different. But what we're doing is we're bringing in this construction... And we're continuing to use it in modern English. But the only thing we're taking is the meaning. The words don't make sense, but the meaning does. So do I. And what's weird about this is you can only use this construction with um, auxiliary verbs. So, for example, uh, so do I. Here we have our auxiliary Right, that we use to make you know, affirmative sentences like, I do like pizza. I do have two dogs. But we could use another auxiliary like, uh, I have eaten two pizzas today. Oh. So have I. Uh, I am watching a lot of films recently. So am I. So... With this construction, we can put in our auxiliary verbs, and it sounds totally natural. But with other verbs, no. Like, for example, um, if you said, um, you know, I eat pizza a lot, you can't say, mm, so eat I. <laughs> right? So it has this very specific use, which is basically a fossilized construction that's come to us from the past. And, of course, the negative is instead of so do I, we change this first part for the negative. Neither do I. Or neither does she. So we have to conjugate this auxiliary. Because remember, in every English clause, we have to conjugate 
one verb, but only one verb. And that brings us to our final question, this one. Hello, Christian. May I ask you a question about the conjunction though? For example, in this sentence, this is a quiet neighborhood, a little far from the city center though. Is it correct or though should be placed after the comma? One more thing, what is the difference with although and about the use of both conjunctions? So, though and although um, are the same word. They're exactly the same word. But what we want to do sometimes is we want to intensify this word. We want to make it stronger. So in the past, we added all in front of it, although this made the word stronger. And now in more modern times, we add even. So this is an intensifier for this, even though. Okay. Now, the origin of this word is super interesting. It, in the past, it came to us from old German, and it meant that. It was a demonstrative pronoun. It was like pointing at something and saying, mm. and that's basically what its use is in a sentence. It's used to say that something is surprising or different from what you expect. For example, although, hello, although it's raining, I still went for a walk. Do you see? It's like I'm using a word to kind of make a pointing action at something which is interesting or surprising, you know? <laughs> Although I've already eaten four pizzas, I'm going to eat another one. <laughs> That's what it does. But of course, you know, words separate, right? Words separate and they, they develop other slightly different meanings, okay? And so when we put this word in a different position, like when we put it at the end of the sentence, like in this example, it does mean something a little bit different. It basically means but, right? So we're still, we're still using it to point at something, but it's more about pointing at something which is different from before, right? You're pointing out the contrast. So for example, um, I normally eat four pizzas per day, though I'm not hungry, right? You see? So I'm saying, but, I'm saying this, but actually it's the opposite, right? Or, or I could say, um, yeah, this is a quiet neighborhood, but it's a little far from the city center. It's a little far from the city center, though. And normally you would use a comma before this. Now remember that the comma is not really about rules, okay? The comma is to help the person who's reading your text to understand it better. So we need the comma to add that pause. Commas are an aid for the person reading your text to help them read it better. So we need the pause 
so that the, the tone, the intonation of the sentence makes sense. It's a quiet neighborhood, a little far from the city center, though. You see, we need that, we need that break just to make the, the difference. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this class and I hope that you learned something about the differences, the real differences between the different types of English, which really are just about the differences between different types of people and about people wanting to talk like who they talk with. I'm Christian. This is Kangaroo English. I'll see you in class.